0: Tuning in to Microbiome Matters, a podcast for healthcare professionals and researchers brought to you by Yakult Science. This podcast aims to share latest research and insights from experts about the science behind our gut microbiome. Hi, I'm Nev, and I'm Britt, and we're the hosts of Microbiome Matters. Before we get started, we'd like to say
1: thanks for tuning in and we hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you're enjoying listening, we'd really appreciate if you could rate the Microbiome Matters podcast on your streaming app and share it with your friends and colleagues. This will really help us to reach more people. That's it from us. Back to the episode. Hi, I'm Niv And I'm Britt. And welcome back to the Microbiome Matters podcast. Today, we are joined by Dr. James Morhen, a performance nutritionist registered with the Sport and Exercise Nutrition Register. James currently works with professional elite-level athletes and global organisations. Alongside this, James is passionate about supporting individual athletes and clients with their own nutrition, exercise and performance goals. James has spent nine years in higher education and over eight years working in elite-level sport. Today, we are going to be discussing sports nutrition supplements commonly used to support athletic performance as well as immune function and gut health. Thanks for joining us today, James.
2: Well, good. No no problem at all. Thank you very much for the invite.
0: Yeah, great to have you. So since we're going to be talking all about supplements today, could you firstly tell us what is a supplement?
2: Yeah, th- this is a really um, kind of uh, in interesting and topical question actually at the moment because there's, there's quite a few, uh, 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 I guess, nutritionists working in the applied world that um, have have the decision every single day around what might constitute a supplement versus a sports food. Um, and I guess anyone who's gone through a sport nutrition undergrad or master's would hopefully have read the IOC consensus statement, um, which is yeah basically a consensus statement from some of the world leaders in sports nutrition um, and dietary supplements and a high-performance athlete. And I, I'm just going to uh, pull out the, I guess, the section of that paper there, because it's it's what I remind some of my mentee students about all the time. And with the consensus statement of these world leaders, they actually all agree that there's no single definition, either legal or within nutritional science, of what constitutes a dietary supplement. And so based on that, it's very difficult to define what a supplement might be. But what they, what they do suggest is that um, they they actually come up with their own definition of what a supplement might be, based off of the consensus of of the group of people. And I'll just read it out to you. So their their definition here is a food, food component, nutrient, or non food compound that is purposely ingested, in addition to the habitually consumed diet, with the aim of achieving a specific health and or performance benefit. And and where that becomes really interesting is I think, the word habitually consumed. So I'll give you a a good example. There's um, a famous yogurt brand that does a 20 gram protein yogurt that we can buy from most of the supermarkets. And if that product is not necessarily habitually consumed in someone's diet and the nutritionist is now suggesting that that should be part of your strategy to help you increase your total protein content, then based off of that definition, one nutritionist might term that as a supplement, whereas another nutritionist might term that as a sports food, because at the end of the day, it's a yogurt made from milk protein. So it's quite difficult. It's, it's quite difficult to answer that question with a, a real bullet point. This is what it is, because I think it comes down to a little bit of common sense and, and due diligence as the practitioner working with that athlete. Um, and I know you're gonna ask me about it later, but what, one of the things that we will, will all hopefully a hundred percent make sure is that if we do think it is a supplement and we think that it is above and beyond what somebody would habitually consume, for example, beta-alanine, creatine, collagen protein, things like that, then we would always try and um, obtain the batch certification for that product. That so you've got that, um, yeah, you've got that knowledge that, that it is a tested product. But I don't think you can walk into some of the supermarkets and ask them for a batch certificate for a, a protein-based yogurt. So yeah, l- long-winded way to say that at the moment there's no single definition uh, agreeable within the literature.
0: Oh, that's really interesting how you mentioned how something might be part of someone's habitual diet might not be someone else's, and so that can be a supplement for them.
2: Yeah, and what's really interesting is that some of the protein-based yogurts and um, and desserts, I guess, that we're beginning to see on supermarket shelves, some of them are made with um, milk protein, and the others are legitimately just quark, which is a a type of yogurt that's a little bit thicker. So it's really important that you read the back of that label as a practitioner working with an elite athlete to. To, to try and identify, right, is it added protein within the product or is it protein made from the milk that's within the product? Um, and it's just really important to to kind of get to the bottom of that.
0: Yeah, really valuable knowledge. Um, so are there different categories of supplements that we hear a lot, a lot about in sports nutrition?
2: Yeah, um, there, there are different categories. And I think, again, um, Anyone that knows me and knows my background, I'm from Liverpool, John Moore's and what we try and do there is everything is evidence-based. So going back to that consensus statement, um, there are different categories of supplements that that you can use. And there's um, a group of supplements that would be used to prevent or treat nutrient deficiencies. So a good example might be during the winter months, Um, We know more often than not in the northern hemisphere, um, elite athletes tend to become a little bit deficient in vitamin D3 simply because, I mean, I'm looking outside now, it's grey weather, there's no sunlight and in in the winter months, the zenith angle of the sun is actually a lot lower. So it's not in the middle of the sky. Um, And for that reason, although it might be sunny, we don't don't get the strength of the sun rays to be able to synthesize vitamin D on, on the skin so in in that instance vitamin d3 could be a very very useful supplement to be consumed during the winter months um, to try and negate deficiencies that might be present with your athletes um, and there's you know professor graham close who is my phd supervisor he's done loads of research in the vitamin d field with uh dr dan owens and so i would recommend anyone listening to, to just have a google of both of those people and vitamin d and they'll find some of the good literature there Um, Another example might be a um, a female athlete who could be presenting with elements of low energy availability um, and they're not consuming enough food. They're not consuming enough red meat and they might be a little bit low on iron. And so iron might be a good supplement that you that you bring in to, again, treat a nutrient deficiency. Um, Other areas that supplements can be categorized into, or sports foods a little bit here, is to provide a practical form of energy um, and nutrients. So a good example there would be a carbohydrate gel um, on a match day for football or rugby, or it could be a an 80 gram carbohydrate, maltodextrin-based um, drink that a football player might consume leading into the game to help increase the skeletal muscle glycogen. Um, so you've got kind of the energy side of stuff, And then you've got um, supplements that directly improve sport performance Um, so that might be something like what we see with caffeine we we know there's a lot of research behind caffeine that would support caffeine's use for cognitive function and being able to work a little bit harder in the back end of a game when we might be a little bit tired but we're going to have that caffeine to kind of boost that performance so yeah there's there's kind of quite a few there that could be categorized and then you've got almost a, a, another bucket of supplements that could improve performance indirectly. And that might be something like vitamin C or zinc lozenges to help with immunity um, and, and general health and wellness, which a proxy or, or a byproduct of keeping an athlete fit, healthy and, and well during a season will be that they're partaking in more training sessions. And ultimately that would help the, the weekend performance more training that athletes do, they tend to become better at their sport. So there's a, there's quite a few there.
1: Yeah, that's great to hear about the different categories and different supplements that might be used. So you've already started to touch on when you might decide to use certain supplements, um, but could you take us through how you make this decision to prescribe a supplement to an athlete and which supplements you choose to prescribe generally?
2: Yeah, so there's, if, if anyone Googles this, they'll be able to find it, but it's, uh, I guess, a supplement decision tree, which uh, the Sport and Exercise Nutrition Register have put their own one out, which has been adapted from uh, an LJMU version, um, and then people like droop of he's got his own version, we ended up writing our own version for the England football at the FA, but they're all of similar um, kind of content, and the first thing to consider really is is the ultimate question of should I use this supplement? And things that factor into that decision would be something like the age of the athlete. Um, is is If I've got a 13-year-old, should I be supplementing caffeine before a football game at, at the weekend? It's questionable because they might be a little bit too young to have the caffeine. Um, another thing that factors into that is all other relevant training variables considered. So if, if an athlete is, um, let's say that 13-year-old boy at the weekend is struggling for energy and, and his first thing that he wants to go for is caffeine, it might be actually that he's just not consuming enough carbohydrates before his training session or match. And so we would go down the food first approach with that young athlete to say, hey, look, it's not caffeine you're after or you need, it's actually an increase in glycogen availability for your exercise. So you've got the, the first question of, should I use this supplement? Um, if, if the answer to that is yes, okay, it's an 18 year old and I'm, I'm happy to give him caffeine, for example, then we look at the level of evidence. So evidence of, of um, efficacy within that particular population. So is there good evidence supporting the supplement? Yes. Um, is it scientific? Is it meta-analysis, review articles? And if we're quite happy that the sup, um, the evidence behind that supplement is strong, then we could move on to the next step. So creatine is a really good example. There's been years of research on creatine. Nine times out of 10, the research is positive. We know that creatine can help with strength and hypertrophy gains. So then you ask yourself the question, is it safe? Is it safe to take? Are there any adverse reactions? Does it interact with any other medications? Do we know what dosages or quantities we should give the athlete? If you do, then we begin to look at the um, the kind of WADA and the UCAD implications. So, is it a prohibited sum- substance in or out of competition? If it is, then we probably shouldn't take it. Are we buying it from a reputable company, a company that's tested, a company that links itself with people like the third-party testing companies, Informed Sport, Informed Choice, NSF, um, and is it tested by safe-endorsed testing programmes ultimately? And if it is, then you might want to trial the use of it. So a good example, you know, in, a, in a, about six weeks' time, I will start a pre-season with the Bristol Bears rugby players again. Some of the young academy lads that might not have ever had creatine, we might just trial it first in a couple of days to see whether they're okay with it and they're happy and then we, we go through a, a six to eight week program where they take it every day. So that's kind of the decision tree that you could work through. Um, and I'd advise any, any practitioner really to print that out and, and have it to hand at all times.
1: Yeah, so that, that sounds really interesting and like it's quite individual, how you look at that approach, but do you find there are kind of a group of most common supplements you use with athletes? Um, what, what would you say is most commonly used?
2: Yeah. Um, again, referring to Graham Close, he's published a really um, good paper recently called um, Food Food First, But Not Food Only, something along that title. Um, and the summary of that paper is that, yes, it's important that we encourage and guide our athletes to consume a food first um, nutritional intake, and, and we would all support that. But it doesn't always have to be food only. And a a really good example is whey protein. And I would probably say whey protein is one of the most highly consumed common supplements with athletes and general people worldwide. Um, The reason for that is because it's generally, it's typically, or typically it's quite cheap to buy. Um, There's loads of companies that are affiliated with testing programs with whey protein There's hundreds of different flavors that you can find. um, And it's really easy to consume. This morning, I was rushing out with the dog. It was a a scoop of protein with some water. Down it went, and I knew that I had 20, 25 grams of protein. I didn't have time to have and cook breakfast. Um, You might want to add protein into Greek yogurt to increase the protein content of your Greek yogurt. Smoothies are a massive um hit and very easy and efficient that athletes can do on the go all the time if you if you're going if you're traveling on a 12-hour flight you might want to take some protein whey protein and a tupperware on the flight and then at least you know that you're getting a good quality source of protein and you're not relying on the typical bacon rolls that get served up on some of these flights um, and and then like, like, likewise you land in a destination where you might be competing if you've got your own protein with you, then you don't have to worry about going out and, and buying uh, a pot that might not be tested. So whey protein, hundred percent, I think that's a big one. Caffeine is also used quite extensively within pr- professional sport. Um, and again, it comes in a number of different ways, caffeine, gum, gels, uh, mouth strips that can dissolve. Uh, you've got coffees of course. Um, and then you've got the kind of concentrated shots that you can buy. Um, and then I think now, certainly because I work in rugby, we're beginning to see a lot of the, the creatine uptake and use, which is great. Um, so I, I would probably say those three uh, are things that or supplements that, irrespective of what sport I've worked in, they're consumed quite often.
0: Yeah, it's really great that you give all these examples because it puts things into perspective, but also kind of gives you a little bit information about the practicality of using supplements as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even look, if, if someone who's, so I've worked a bit in formula one and the travel demands and the jet lag fatigue that these athletes have is in, is incredible because of the the calendar and the destination of formula one events around the world. It's all over the world. So at one point they could be on a night race in Malaysia, And then the following week they're back in Europe and it's a Sunday afternoon race. So caffeine there can be used very smartly because depending on what way around the world you're traveling, you may purposely for the start of your flight actually take some caffeine because you want to stay awake so that the, the back end of your flight, you almost treat as your, your nighttime sleep. So that when you wake up in the destination, And it's 10 o'clock in the morning you've had a, a night's sleep the opposite of that might be that you get on the flight and you're shattered so you fall asleep early and then you wake up and you've still got eight hours of your flight left and then you've got a full day ahead of you so yeah caffeine can be used um really really smartly especially for those athletes that have to travel around the world for training and competition
0: So in our previous episodes, we spoke with Professor Mike Gleason and also the EIS and they told us about how certain foods and supplements are used to support the overall well-being of athletes, but also more specifically gut health. So we're wondering what specific foods and supplements do you use to support immune function and gut health in athletes?
2: Yeah, so I mean. For for immune function to start with, um, I'm really, really passionate about the, the players that I work with at the moment consuming a lot of fruit and vegetable. Um, I think historically, especially some of the younger rugby players that come through, there's such a desire and want to get big really quickly that they focus on protein and carbs a lot, which I understand. But at the unfortunately at the wayside of fruit and vegetables so one of the things that I've really encouraged the boys this year is to and, and any nutritionist you'll hear say this but consume a rainbow a day of color I, I want them to get loads of different colors on their plate and, and enjoy trying and trying different fruit and vegetables and enjoying different ve- um, different vegetables to go with different meat dishes um, so first and foremost from a, an immunity food point of view, I'm just trying to encourage the lads to get as many fruit and vegetables and colors in them as possible. Um, one thing that we've done at Bristol this year is we've linked up with a, um, I guess, sports food company. Um, I won't say their name, but they they provide um, concentrated turmeric shots, uh, ginger shots, vitamin C shots, vitamin D shots. And we've actually done an in-house um, immunity project looking at the effects of concentrated ginger on reducing the amount of illnesses present in boys that are most susceptible to having days off from the club um, and in, in brief our, our data is looking quite pos- uh, positive in the fact that it might not negate the um, onset of the illness but it certainly negates the or, or decreases the severity of the illness so that it it basically results in instead of a player having a day off from the club and not being able to come in and train, they can still come in and train. They just feel a little bit under the weather. So ginger is certainly um, a nutritional compound that that we're doing a lot of work with at the moment with this company and something that I think those boys that have had it have really enjoyed taking that on board. Um, And then for the... um, onset of kind of upper respiratory tract infections, then there's quite a lot of evidence looking at the zinc lo- lozenges. So concentrated zinc. Um, so again, I've worked with boxers in the past that if, if there is a bit of a sign of a sniffle coming on, then we'll give them a, a high dose of, of zinc to, to take for a couple of days just to try and negate that. And of course, things like vitamin C from oranges, kiwi, strawberries is, um, is always going to help with uh, the immunity side of stuff. And then in regards to kind of gut function, um, a a good quality, high-strength pre- and probiotic is is obviously going to be very important to line that gut with very good microbiome. Um, But I actually listened to a a great podcast um, the other day with Jake Humphrey and the high performance. And there was a lady on there who was talking about the importance of fruit and vegetable and fiber for the gut. Um, And again, so that kind of supports the... strategy that i have there about the boys really ramping up the amount of color that they're getting from fruit and vegetables to look after the gut as well um and then one thing that we've done or or we will do when um the start of pre-season is we will we will actually change our, our greek yogurt that we have because the greek yogurt that we've got at the moment is not a live greek yogurt so it doesn't actually have that friendly bacteria in there so That's that's something that we will be shifting. So we want to get a real um, strong and live Greek yogurt into the club.
1: Yeah, that's good to hear that you're looking at dietary diversity with all the colourful fruits and vegetables as well as dietary microbes to support immune health and the gut. Because that's something that microbiome matters we're really um, looking at now is um, dietary diversity and how we can increase uh, the support to the gut microbiota through the diet? Mm. Yeah, so we're um uh, we're interested in the challenges that performance nutritionists face. So you've mentioned some already, like batch testing perhaps with supplements. Um but working with the athletes and looking at different um supplements that you might choose, what are the main challenges you tend to come across?
2: Um I think in in, in my experience it's um it's really important that you build trust with your athletes as as quick as you can. Um, And I talk about this in my book that I published last year on Amazon, but the trust really is made up of three components. It's credibility, reliability and intimacy. And then you divide that by ego or self-interest. And the aim of the game here to build really strong trust with your athlete is that you're trying to score 10 out of 10 on the top three things and as low as possible on your ego um, and I've been through where I was very ego-driven at the start of my career. And I'd like to think now I'm less ego-driven, but more I've I've in, improved the scores on my other three domains. Um, and the reason I just say that at the start is because when you then got that trust with the athlete, it becomes very, very easy to have the conversation with them about certain supplements, which there's a lot of evidence for and there's a lot of literature, and, and here it is. If you, if you want to read the papers, I'll send them to you, or if you want to just listen to me and I'll explain it to you, or if you want me just to tell you what to do and you just go, yeah, I've got it, or yeah, I understand, then that's absolutely fine. When you've got that trust, that's really easy to do with the athlete. Um, and I, I have that at the club now. I've got athletes that they trust me, they know I'm credible, I've got a good background of academia, And they just, they say, mate, whatever you tell me to do, I trust you and I'll just do it from a supplement point of view. Where that works really well then is those situations where a player might bring in a supplement that might not be tested. Or a good example at the moment is CBD. There's a lot of CBD talk and research and hype. And it's quite an exciting product and and compound for athletes to take because of the purported, um, effects of recovery, sleep, soreness, inflammation, which are all key factors for a rugby player trying to recover after a game. So we, we've had situations at Bristol Bears where some players have brought that product in and said, look, here it is, wash your thoughts? And in that situation, the current stance from me would, would be, look, it, it's an exciting area of research, but at the moment, I think it's still a little bit too risky because there are people that are, unfortunately you know getting these anti-doping rule violations and so i wouldn't want to put you in that position nine times out of ten that's enough and the athlete will listen to me and go "Yep, understand i've got it i'll I'll be led by you so they're they're probably some of the difficulties that i think practitioners have with some uh athletes with in regards to supplements um and then uh, the other slight area of that is some of these supplements that are um what we would term proprietary blends. So there's quite a lot of ingredients within one product. So something like a pre-workout is a good example where you know you might have eight or nine different ingredients or compounds within that one pre-workout product. Some of those ingredients will be tested and fine, but other ingredients in there might not. And so that can be a bit of a difficult or sticky situation for some athletes because you know they might have took that supplement their whole career and I haven't had any problems at the moment, so why why would I have a problem moving forward? But then, once I've explained to them to say, "Look, there's some ingredients in it that I'm not confident around, and I I think you would be better off maybe just taking a caffeine gum or a caffeine gel." So they're they're probably the difficulties with supplements, I would say at the moment.
1: Yeah, that's um that's interesting to hear about um, how you handle those um, challenges as well. Uh, Do you ever have athletes who maybe have side effects or gastrointestinal symptoms um, as a challenge? And and how would you how would you work with that um, and support those athletes?
2: Yeah, um, I I do, is the answer. And I've seen it a lot more in female athletes than male. so in, in the male athletes, where, where I think there's slight um, issues with some of their guts is because I alluded to it a little bit earlier. There's such a drive to become big and to become big quick. And I think I've seen it with some academy lads that when they consume a lot of protein and a lot of carbohydrates with minimal fibre and minimal fruit and vegetable, when you ask them about you know, their, their quality of their stool and you show them the Bristol stool chart, more often than not, it's it's not a healthy stool that they're passing on a regular basis. And so I then uh, dig a little bit deeper and you find out that actually they're not consuming fibre, they're not consuming green leafy vegetables, there's no broccoli, there's no green beans. And so you begin to think, actually, we might just have an issue here of the fact that you're not getting good quality fibre within your diet. And there's just such an over-reliance on pasta, rice, mincemeat, steaks, chicken so um, with with those lads, when I've brought in that rainbow a day and we've tried to encourage that, that's, that's tended to help. Um, there have been a few situations where players struggle with the kind of gloopy protein shakes, um, especially pre and post training. So some of them aren't too keen on having those shakes um, before or after training. And so what you're beginning to see now is more and more companies are releasing... What they would call a clear way protein, which is almost like a squash, um, a lot easier, a lot softer on the on the stomach to kind of digest. So that's one solution that we brought in for that. Um, and then with the female athletes, where where we see quite a little or uh, a little bit of disruption is in and around their cycle. So depending on what stage they are in their in their cycle, it you know there might be certain products that begin to just give them a little bit of IBS or disruption. Um, so we've had to work quite closely with athletes on that um, and also athletes that might be a little bit um, lactose intolerant. And so we've we've kind of gone down the route of vegan-based protein um, and, and kept it a little bit cleaner from that point of view, just so that we're not disrupting the gut um, leading into training or post-training. And that, that seems to have been quite effective. Um, and where where I've seen some female athletes struggle is when I've educated them on the the genuine amount of fuel that they need leading into a competition, you know, it might be up in the region of four, five, six gram per kilo of carbohydrate to consume the day before a game to make sure that they're ready and primed from a glycogen fuel point of view. But if that athlete has habitually through their whole career only ever consumed two gram per kilo, then you're asking them to double the amount of carbohydrate going into the body. And some guts are not used to that. And they struggle to process that and digest and absorb it. Um, so there's where you might trial some of that before a competition on a heavier training day to get the gut used to it. Um, and the gut's like any other organ, right? It can be trained and it can be, it can be kind of molded into a, a, a better functioning machine. So um, the increase of carb content on female athletes sometimes proves a, a bit of a problem. But there's always ways you can work around that.
0: Yeah, it's great to see how you work so closely with the athletes and, you know, manage all of these challenges, but also really focus on the research behind these novel elements. And while we're on the topic of research, as a performance nutritionist working with athletes, what emerging areas of research are you looking forward to learning more about?
2: Yeah, I think for me right now in my particular position, um, I'm about to set up a body composition research project with the rugby union players. So I've done a lot of work in rugby league where we've looked at the position split of um, players and their body composition. But in in rugby union, it they only ever split the positions by forwards and backs. But within the forwards, you've got hookers, props, second row, back row, flankers. And then within the backs, of course, scrum half, fly half, centres, wings. So that's, that's an area that I'm looking at driving over the next couple of years. I, I want to, to publish and, and generate data on the position-specific sp- body composition of elite rugby union players in the Northern Hemisphere on both male and female uh, squads. So that's something that I'm going to be driving. Um, and then probably a, a bit of an extension on that immunity side of stuff. The, the biggest burden on clubs in terms of players being away from the club is not well it, it is injury but a, a big factor as well is illnesses and and immunity problems and I think that they can actually be um corrected quite easily by by good nutrition and good food so again we're going to see how we can extend that ginger project out and um, and and make this, yeah that a bigger project I guess across the whole whole club
1: that's really interesting to hear about that upcoming research you have going on and you know Performance nutrition is a really exciting area, looking after the athletes performance-wise, but also their health. Um, We've got one last question to ask you. It's something we ask all of our guests on the podcast. We'd like to know what's one thing that you do to look after your gut?
2: I would say every single day, um, as many vegetables as possible. Um, And that's from the start of the day to the end of the day. So I, I would say breakfast, lunch and dinner, I've got some good vegetables being consumed.
1: Yeah, that's a great one. You know, um, and you've talked about a rainbow a day. So with your athletes, so why not do that yourself too?
2: Yeah, exactly that.
1: Yeah, thank you for joining us today. It was really great to hear
0: all about supplements and how you work with athletes, but also use your performance nutritionist background to make all these practical recommendations.
2: No, all good. Thanks for the invite. And if um if anyone is keen on learning about performance nutrition as an industry and I guess my journey but also other people's journeys, then like I said, that that book that I published last year is is titled The Performance Nutritionist. Um it's on Amazon and um I, I think it provides a very unique and in intricate kind of insight into ten different other practitioners that all work in pro sport and their journeys as to how they've got there and their advice for other nutritionists in the industry. So that's a, a shameful plug at the end there. But I think people would benefit from um, from reading that. No, uh,
1: Yeah, we, we agree, actually. Uh, it's a great book. And yeah, so anyone looking to learn more about performance nutrition, check out The Performance Nutritionist by Dr. James Mohan. Thanks
0: for tuning in. For more information and to sign up for future episodes of our Microbiome Matters podcast, go to yakult.co.uk forward slash HCP.